Hey guys, welcome to the Doula Diaries. I'm Heidi. I'm the host of the Birth Story Podcast, which drops birth story episodes and expert interviews every Thursday. I'm also the author of the Birth Story Pregnancy Guidebook and Journal. It is everything, 529 pages of everything that you need to know to prepare for your birth. You can get that at birthstory.com. And I am also the content creator for Birth Story Academy, where you go for online learning from a virtual doula. You can also get into my private Facebook community through Birth Story Academy. And here on Tuesdays is where we meet for doula diaries. So welcome. Before we get started, I would love to have you guys in Birth Story Academy. It is premier childbirth education for your hospital birth, no matter what the birth looks like that you're planning. So medicated, unmedicated, a wait and see attitude, a belly birth, an induction, there is a module for all of it. And I have a blank name tag at your seat waiting to put your name on it. And the best part about Birth Story Academy is that I get to be your virtual doula. You go into my private Facebook group where I interact with you every single week and cheer you on as you plan and prepare for the birth that you want, no matter what that looks like. So I hope you will go to birthstory.com and enroll in Birth Story Academy today. Hey guys, how's your week going? Welcome to Doula Diaries. I'm really excited to talk to you this week about cesarean sections and so specifically scheduling a cesarean section. And I'm going to dig in a little bit to planning for a cesarean section with birth preferences. Oh, yes, you can have a birth plan for your cesarean section. And then also a recovery guide. So I'm really excited about this recovery guide because I wrote it with all of my past doula clients who had had cesarean sections over the last 17 years. And I reached out to every single one of them, even with those teenagers going to college and said, like, what sticks out to you? What worked? What didn't work when you were recovering? And together we wrote a guide. You can get that guide two ways. One, you can enroll in Birth Story Academy and there's an entire module on cesarean sections planned or unplanned, right? Every one of you needs to do research and education on a cesarean section, even if you don't think you're going to end up there. I'm a great doula and 7% of my clients still have a cesarean section. Now that's drastically different than the 30 to 40% in my city that goes down in each of the hospitals, right? But there's always a chance your baby is the keeper of all of the knowledge. You know, maybe their cord is like tied in a knot and wrapped around their neck three times in their body and like it's a short cord and then they just don't descend or, you know, belly birth is a birth and it needs to be honored. It also needs to be prepared for and you need to be educated on the operating room. So we're going to do all of that today. So I'm going to start with a little story. I got a call recently from a client. And it's like, it's a mind-blowing story, right? She went in for fertility in, I think, August. And they were like at a, fertil at a fertility clinic, you guys, like fertility clinic. 
And they were like, hey, how about you try this like birth control and this like weight loss medicine and and then we'll see what happens. And a couple months later, you know, she's like, I still I'm just not feeling good. I'm just like really lethargic. And they were like, maybe we should work you up for cancer. And she's like, oh, that's okay. I'm at a fertility clinic and I'm getting worked up for cancer. Like interesting. But she was advocating for herself. Like something is not right. And they had been on a long fertility journey. They had one child who they birthed via a failed induction. I'm an air quote fail, right? Like they pushed her into an induction early with a bishop score of zero. And if I'm speaking a foreign language, y'all enroll in birth story Academy, (laughs) but really your bishop score is like your, um, dilation, your effacement, how soft the cervix is, the position of the baby, the station of the baby, um, and the position of your cervix, like posterior, anterior, mid-center. All of that gives you a bishop score. So if it's zero, you, you know, there's a much higher chance of you having a cesarean section. So if you have gestational diabetes and you're getting induced at 39 weeks for gestational diabetes and you have a bishop score of zero, like we have a long road ahead of us and it might end in a cesarean section or a vaginal birth. Um, but there's a lot of cervical ripening that needs to be done. So in this particular client, she had, I mean, I think we were there five days, cervical ripening, balloon, Pitocin, all the things, induction. And in the end, you know, with a smileish on our faces, we went back to the operating room. So years later, still on a fertility journey, she finds herself in this fertility clinic and they do all these things, right? And so now all of a sudden she's being worked up for cancer. And then they call her back and tell her like, you're negative for everything, right? Like you don't have cancer, you don't have the flu, you don't have COVID, like Maybe you just have chronic fatigue syndrome. Maybe it's all in your head, all the things. Well, she got into like big advocacy mode and she's like, I'm a really smart, educated, amazing woman. And like, I'm not accepting this as an answer. And she marched back into that fertility clinic and was like, you need to do one more ultrasound. Like, let's see if there's cysts on my ovaries, if there's fibroids, if it's the endometriosis. And they hooked her back up to that ultrasound. And guess what they found, you guys? A four to five month old baby in her womb. Miracle, right? Amazing. The craziest part to me is that when she went to the fertility clinic the first time, she was already pregnant. They never did a pregnancy test. Mind blowing. So as I start or finish, I guess, the rest of the story around cesarean sections. It starts with her story and advocacy. And for goodness sake, if you're doing fertility, I know even if you've been doing it for four or five years, like you think it's impossible for you to get pregnant, please make sure that they do a pregnancy test on you. Like every time you go for a visit. I shouldn't even have to say that, right? So anyway, so here's this awesome, amazing client. And she's like, hey, Heidi, I'm five months pregnant. What's your schedule look like? And what was the first question she asked me? Do I have a VBAC or do I have a scheduled cesarean section? 
okay, well, first I'm your doula. I cannot make that decision for you and your body. But today in Doula Diaries, I'm going to walk you through some of the pros and the cons and the risks and the benefits of a scheduled cesarean section from a doula's perspective compared to a VBAC and then that recovery guide and the birth preferences. So digging right in, pros, cons. I am the very first person to tell you that if you had a traumatic first birth experience that ended in a cesarean section, a scheduled cesarean can be a very um, empowering and recharging and just amazing experience. It's calm and it's controlled and it can be wonderful. If you want to have five or six babies, that is not the route for you, right? Like no one wants you cutting into your uterus that many times, more than three likely, okay? So don't consider a scheduled cesarean section, please, if you want to have a big family, go for that VBAC. That would be a giant con of a scheduled cesarean is limiting the number of um, children that you would have or the number of, because of the number of cesareans. Now, if you have two cesarean sections, very few providers will do, unless you're home birth or, you know, some cities will do a VBAC after two cesarean sections. So you're usually going to have to go to home birth for that. And so if you know two and done, then that's on the table. If you know maybe three and done, you know, scheduled C-sections on the table. If you want four kids, like, let's try for a VBAC. Um, if you were to take a scheduled cesarean section and an uncomplicated vaginal birth and compare the recovery, uncomplicated vaginal birth is going to win every time compared to recovery from a major abdominal surgery. Well, let's say you have a complicated vaginal birth. And by complicated, I mean tearing. So maybe you have a third degree perineal tear, a sulcus tear, a clitoral tear, a urethral tear. And you've had some trauma to your vagina, your bottom, and your pelvic floor. Well, all day long, the scheduled cesarean section is going to win over that for recovery. So the thing is, we don't know, right? We don't know if your baby's going to slip right out of you with no tearing or if you're going to have a, a traumatic vaginal birth. And by traumatic, I mean to your pelvic floor, trauma to your pelvic floor. So there are a lot of different pros and cons to consider, right? Like, how do you feel in Bright Lights Big City in the operating room? Um, how do you feel laboring at home with a VBAC without continuous fetal monitoring? What happens if you're going for a VBAC and then you're still pregnant at 41 weeks? Will your provider be supportive of you going to 42 weeks in spontaneous labor? Because what I don't recommend is pumping that uterus full of Pitocin for three days when it's had a previous cut into it with a cesarean section. So these are all things that are going through my doula client's head when she calls me and is like, what should I do? And I'm like, not helpful. And I'm like, I can't answer that question for you. But like, let's walk through your previous birth experience in which she identified it as traumatic. And I'm like, okay, well, we have a traumatic birth experience. 
a scheduled cesarean could be very redemptive because it's more controlled. You know, it can be calm and peaceful. So could a vaginal birth. But I asked her the question, what happens if you don't go into, if you have gestational diabetes again, let's say, and you don't go into spontaneous labor, and then they want to induce you for five days again, would you, will that be more traumatizing? Right? And so these are the things you have to ask yourself when you're considering a scheduled cesarean section. So ultimately, this particular client has landed on a scheduled cesarean section. And I had a scheduled cesarean section this week with a previous dual client who ended in a cesarean section after a two or three day, air quote, failed induction a couple of years ago. So I thought these were really good parallel stories. And I wanted to tell you how this scheduled cesarean was so redemptive. First, it was a gentle cesarean section. A gentle cesarean section. It's sometimes called a family center, family centered cesarean. And it is peaceful. The overall purpose of a gentle cesarean is to invoke a calm atmosphere, very peaceful atmosphere that mimics what happens during and immediately after a natural vaginal childbirth. And so that seems like unrealistic when you hear it, like what? We're in an operating room, but it's actually really possible. And so here's what a scheduled cesarean section provides. It provides a date on the calendar for you to look forward to. It quells the majority of anxiety around like, when am I going to go into labor? Now, every now and then you can schedule that cesarean section and your water breaks at 2 a.m. three days before your scheduled cesarean section. What do you do? You just head right in to the hospital and you have a cesarean section that day, right? If you're planning a planned cesarean section, have, have a plan for going into spontaneous labor and what that looks like. So let's walk through a birth plan, if you will, or birth preferences for a gentle cesarean section. So some of the things that you can ask for are going immediately skin to skin with your baby. Now, by immediately, I mean as soon as possible. So think of yourself as you walk into the hospital and you go into triage about an hour and a half before your procedure and you get some blood work done and you drink um, this drink that makes like calms the stomach acid, right? Then they'll start IV fluids they will give you any kind of anxiety or um, pain medication up front. The doctor comes to talk to you. The anesthesiologist comes to talk to you. And all the while, you're getting like a foot rub from your doula and you're getting distracted by whatever keeps you distracted, like playing games on your cell phone or listening to meditations. And then eventually they put your um, birth partner in a little when I call it a bunny suit, you know, it's not, it's a little sterile suit and or your doula and a little cap on you. You take out all your jewelry. If you haven't shaved, they'll um, shave your pubic area. They'll clean your belly and they'll put you in a robe. And then all of a sudden, I mean, really it happens super fast. Your CBC and your platelets come back and everything looks good. And all of a sudden we're headed off 
to the operating room. And in the operating room, you will receive spinal anesthesia likely. And that is a one quick shot in your back, literally. And it numbs you from like mid-belly down to your toes. So it's much more dense, if you will, than an epidural. But it allows you to be awake versus being put to sleep under general anesthesia. Then they'll put up a blue or a clear drape or both. You'll lay with your arms out. Some hospitals strap your arms down. Some put weighted blankets down. You'll have um, EKG leads on your chest, monitoring your heart rate and your rhythm. You'll have a blood pressure cuff monitoring your blood pressure. You'll have a catheter draining your bladder, keeping your bladder out of the way of the surgery. And sometimes with the spinal anesthesia, you may get a little nauseous, right? So maybe you may get a little nauseous or have a blood pressure drop that's totally normal and might throw up a little bit. So they can give you some Zovran or something to like keep your tummy calm. But for the most part, you should be pretty numb, pretty alert, pretty aware and looking at your birth partner's From like the boobs up is kind of like everything else is like on the other side of the curtain, okay? And then they'll start the procedure and they'll make sure that you're numb and you don't feel anything. And But what you feel is a lot of pressure. I mean, pressure to the left, pressure to the right, pressure up, pressure down, just like you would if you were um, laboring with an epidural. And you felt the pressure in your rectum or like the urge to push because of the pressure. So it's very similar to that pressure as they're delivering your baby via your belly. And then um, the birthing person will typically look at me and say like, oh, I feel all that pressure and maybe squinch their forehead or say, oh, but they're not really in pain. They're just like, oh, goodness, the pressure. And then they can feel the baby be, be born usually because of the pressure relief. So your baby is gently and slowly delivered out of your belly and several things that you can ask for. You can ask for delayed cord clamping. Now, is it possible to delay until the cord has stopped pulsating? Probably not, right? We don't want you laying on an operating table bleeding to death, but you could definitely request delayed cord clamping as long as possible. When I was talking about you getting set up, you could ask for the EKG leads to be put on your back so that your chest is completely clear. If you want to see your baby right after they come out um, behind the blue drape, they could put a clear drape. So they drop the blue drape and you're able to take a first look at your baby through the clear drape. That's something that you could ask for. And then back to immediate skin to skin. So once they clamp and cut the cord, which your partner cannot do, it is a sterile environment. What they could do is clamp and cut the cord long so that your partner could shorten it. That would be pretty cool, right? Then your baby is definitely, usually, in all of the hospitals that I've been part of, going to go over for just a quick assessment. When babies are born via the belly, they don't get a chance to get squeezed, like their lungs to get squeezed as they're coming slowly out the vagina. They also don't get exposed to all the good bacteria in your vagina. 
sometimes not so good bacteria if you're GBS positive. But if you're GBS negative, there is a lot of good bacteria in your vagina that they're exposed to with all the blood and the mucus of coming through the vaginal canal. So in the, if they don't get squeezed, sometimes they'll need to a little bit of support breathing or suctioning out their lungs and their belly. And so once they do that and your baby's looking good, like APGAR scores are high, meaning like their appearance and their respiration and their grimace and their pulse and all the things look good, then, and your baby's crying the whole time, like then they'll bring your baby over for skin to skin. So if you write on your birth preferences, like my baby on my chest as soon as possible, if you don't put that on your birth preferences, the baby might not go to your chest. Who do you want in the room? Do you want your doula in the OR? Does the hospital allow doulas in the OR? Do you want your birth partner in the OR? Do they allow that? Put that on your birth preferences. This template for cesarean is on birthstory.com under the workbook. So if you would like to look at this birth plan, birth preferences for cesarean section, just download it at birthstory.com for free and then also download the recovery guide for free. So some of the other things that are on here um, are about vaginal seeding. So again, we just talked about if the baby comes through the vagina, they get exposed to all that good bacteria. If they don't come through the vagina, you can take a piece of gauze, wipe it inside your vagina all around, collect some of that bloody mucus bacteria, and then wipe it on your baby's face, nose, eyes, mouth. Um, so it exposes them to that good stuff after they're born because they wouldn't have been exposed to it via the belly. So that's not for everybody, but that's called vaginal seeding. You want to advocate for your baby to be remain skin to skin with you, even when you're wheeled out of the operating room. Some people want to breastfeed in the OR. I'll tell you, babies aren't born like ready to breastfeed a minute later, right? So you're out of that OR in about like 15 minutes after the baby comes out. It is really fast. So, you know, you can advocate to breastfeed in the OR, but I think breastfeeding and pack you like within the first three hours or recovery, post anesthesia recovery unit, that's what that is. But in the recovery unit, I think that's totally fine. Do you want your birth partner to take photos and videos? What does the hospital allow? What do you want? Let's put that on a birth preference. Do you want those extra drugs? Like, do you want um, an e-res protocol? This is so complicated to describe, you guys, but it's medicines before and um, some uh, anesthesia blocks afterwards. So it's called the ERES protocol. So talk to your provider and your anesthesiologist. I really think it helps with the recovery. I put it on all my cesarean um, birth plans. Some of my clients are like, take, give me all the drugs, drug me up, but you're going to be out of it for the first couple of hours. Some want to be fully present and are good with a little bit of pain. Do you want to save your placenta for encapsulation? Do you want to donate it? These are things I would put on your birth preferences. And another thing is like, do you like the chattiness? Do you want somebody to chat, chat, chat you up and talk you through that surgery? Or do you want it to be like a quiet, peaceful environment where no one is talking about the football game or what's happening in Ukraine or, you know, World War or whatever or COVID, right? Like that it's all about you. You need to make that known, right? Your birth partner needs to advocate for that. 
In some countries, they allow a mother-assisted cesarean, and that's where they actually drop the drape and you can help pull the baby up onto your chest. I don't see that in my area. I do recommend my clients wear sunglasses, pro tip, because the bright lights are just so bright, or some kind of even some of my clients don't want to see anything, so they'll put the um, eye mask on, but sunglasses are really helpful. Cauterization is done on your skin, so if you don't want to smell your skin burning, I highly recommend a drop of essential oil on a cotton ball. These are amazing things that you can do to make a cesarean section that you've planned peaceful, easy, beautiful. Like These are things you're in control over. Do you want them to play music? Do you want to have music on your cell phone or music in your ears? You can't have music in your earbuds during the surgery because of the cautery, just like you can't have your nose ring in, right? Because it could potentially burn you. Um, but what are your feeding plans? You know, we talked about um, maybe breast or chest feeding in recovery, but maybe you plan on bottle feeding. So put that in there. I do recommend that all of the partners wear button downs so that they have the opportunity to go skin to skin. And then a couple other things I'll just mention about a scheduled cesarean section that I think people forget to tell you about is that it's really common to still get the labor shakes after delivery, no matter what type of delivery you have. So when your baby is born and that placenta comes out, your body likes to shake and it likes to shake a lot. So shaking on the operating room table is very normal. Here's another pro tip. Do you want to have more kids? Because if you have a scheduled cesarean section, like let's say this is like baby two, you're two and done. You're 100% sure. You're 42 years old. You know for sure you don't want any more. And they're doing a cesarean section scheduled. They can absolutely tie your tubes at the same time. It takes like five extra minutes. So your um, forever sterilization could be done right there. So if you want that done, put that on your birth plan and talk to your provider about doing both procedures at one time. I do recommend writing these things up in, again, your birth preferences form and talking to your provider when you schedule this beautiful, empowering cesarean section that's going to make you feel in control. All right, let's talk about recovering from the cesarean section. The very first thing I will talk to you about is blood loss, right? It's really normal, no matter if you're having a vaginal birth or a cesarean birth, to lose blood. So iron is in your blood and you can get really low stores with your hemoglobin and your ferritin. So I recommend black strap molasses. I like the brand Bragg's. It's really iron rich and it helps you restore your hemoglobin after blood loss. Pain meds. My client said, just take them, take them, take them, take them. You want to get ahead of your pain. Most of my clients reported that they just needed opioids for like the first 24 to 48 hours. But with the ERES protocol, which is where they put those blocks in your belly, that they were able to then just move on to Tylenol or ibuprofen within um, a much shorter time frame. I recommend drinking nettle tea. It strengthens your blood vessels and improves arterial elasticity. That reduces the risk of hemorrhoids. So even at the end of pregnancy with a scheduled cesarean section, 
oh my goodness, can you get hemorrhoids? But we also want to make sure that you have really strong arterial arterial elasticity so that you don't have too much bleeding. So I would be drinking nettle tea towards the end and then after you give birth. Nettle increases the amount of breast milk a mom produces. It is a superb source of vitamin K and it increases your available hemoglobin and decreases the likelihood of a postpartum hemorrhage. So nettle tea is awesome. The next recommendation all my doula clients came up with was the pillow press. And it said whenever you need to cough, sneeze, laugh, get up, roll out of bed, you're going to take your pillow, you're going to press it against your abdominal muscles, you're going to push in for counter pressure, and that's going to help with the pain and reduce your chances of injury to your incision. Nose to toes. When getting out of bed or out of a chair, you're going to lean forward, you're going to put your nose over your toes. Then you're going to use your thigh muscles to stand up, not your abdominals. You're going to get really strong thighs. If you have a scheduled C-section, I would be working on nose to toes and strengthening your thigh muscles like throughout your pregnancy. The next one was patience. Go at your own pace. Slow down. Imagine this wound was on the outside of you. If you were to look at it day in and day out on the outside, This wound where your placenta peels away from the uterus, where the uterus is cut into. It's about the size of a dinner plate inside of you. What would you do? You would get around slowly. You would have intentional movements. You would have patience. You would give yourself a full eight to 10 weeks of laying around and letting other people serve you. I also recommend belly binding. So belly support is key. They have Velcro ones, like there's the Belly Bandit Lux. There's the Belfit Dual Closure dual closure Girdle. Um, I like Bangkok Belly Binding. That has to be done a few weeks delayed. So you want to do a Velcro one for the first couple of weeks, and then you can move into Bangkok Belly Binding when your ab- uh, abdomen really just doesn't feel sore anymore. Pelvic Floor PT, y'all. I cannot tell you how critical the muscles that they're cutting through and your uterus, like this is so critical to your pelvic floor. Like breath work, diastasis, cutting, I mean, all of the things. So please, no, even if you're having a vaginal birth, all the things. If you are pregnant, you should be working with the pelvic floor PT, but especially you don't want to get that cesarean shelf afterwards. Every single doula client that I interviewed said pelvic floor PT and body work was essential to recovering from a cesarean section. They also recommended the C-section underwear. They liked the Frida's C-section undies or the She Thinks to just bleed into. Now, believe it or not, some of my clients don't know this, so maybe you don't know this either. If you have a C-section, you're still going to bleed out of your vagina for up to six weeks. That's normal. The The uterus is healing and it's bleeding and it's coming out of your cervix, which is now closing, um, just like your period is, and you're going to bleed. And it's going to be kind of some heavy bleeding for the first 48, 72 hours, and then it's going to slowly dissipate. And then at about day 21, your placental scab is going to slosh off and you may have an increase in bleeding, and then it kind of dies out. 
So that's what your bleeding looks like post cesarean section. And you can bleed into pads, these underwears. Someone else recommended the Upspring Baby Sea Panty. If you download these guides at birthstory.com in the workbook, all of the things are linked that I'm talking about. Now, some of my clients mentioned the poop mocktail. This is prune juice and Sprite. So they said, serve this up on day one in the hospital whenever you're cleared to eat and drink because this is going to keep the stools soft and the gas flowing. Like after a cesarean section, you want to fart, fart, fart and get all that air out. Nourishing foods and broths. I really like the book, The First 40 Days, The Essential Art of Nourishing the New Mom. But you really want to seek out anti-inflammatory and healing foods I mean, at a standard, I would say gluten-free, dairy-free, high vegetable intake, but the book is a really great guide. Drink warm broths every day. So if somebody says, what can I bring you? Ask them to bring you some bone broth, as long as you're not vegan, vegetarian. Then I would take magnesium glyconate. Magnesium helps your body to heal. It is calming. It treats pain. It's also a stool softener. Magnesium helps with sleep. It controls blood sugar and heart rhythms. I take magnesium glyconate every day. It's such an amazing thing. I do recommend any organic magnesium supplement. Your provider can write you a prescription for one too. Um, Pro tip, you can use your flexible spending account or your health savings account to pay for supplements, including magnesium. A bidet. Your vagina and rectum are still going to be tender even if you didn't have a vaginal birth. There is that bleeding that I was talking about. It's just hard to reach around and move. So I do recommend a bidet like the tushy bidet. So just something to help easily spray you and keep you clean with limiting your movements as you're healing from abdominal surgery. Water. You need water to heal. You need water for counteracting your blood loss. You need water to produce breast milk. You need water. (laughs) So try to drink half of your body weight in ounces of water each day. So if you're weighing 200 pounds, 100 ounces of water each day. Oh gosh, the next one is the best tip ever. Five, five, five. Five days in bed, five days next to the bed, five days near the bed. So like when people say, what are you doing for the first two weeks after a cesarean section? Your answer is nothing. I'm spending five days in bed. I'm spending five days next to my bed, maybe watching TV or something. And then I'm spending five days near the bed, right? Like maybe I'm doing something in another part of the house for a little bit of time. But for the first two weeks, you're supposed to just be in bed resting and either nursing or feeding your baby. So then there are like the scar eventually is going to heal and you want to massage it. So you want to massage. The reason you want to do it is because it stimulates the nerves around the scar. And I suggest that you massage your lower abdomen and over your scar with like a salve or a natural oil like almond oil. I really like almond oil. So You can use different materials too, like really soft, like cotton balls, shirts, and then scratchy like toothbrushes or sandpaper. You want to stimulate the scar and stimulate the nerves so that blood flow goes to those, that 
goes to the scar and that you're not like permanently numb in some places. So you can go to a body worker that can do this for you. You can do light therapy. You can massage the scars yourself. But you want to wake up the nerves and help your body to repair them so that you have normal feelings and sensations in your lower abdomen where they cut you. I'm going to give a shout out to my favorite Instagram. This is the only Instagram account I'm going to recommend for recovering from a C-section, and that's Expecting and Empowered. It's my number one most recommended Instagram account for supporting moms in their postpartum period, especially after a cesarean section. They are amazing. Okay. Inverted Kegels. (laughs) Don't be intimidated. This goes along with pelvic floor therapy. Everyone should squeeze their vagina within a few hours of giving birth as you are need to quickly start to strengthen your pelvic floor. Like I literally gave birth and started doing this. After the first week, I would move on to inverted Kegels. You want to lay in your on your back in bridge position and you want to like kind of put your butt slightly elevated. So you're Does that make sense? Like your back and your shoulders are on the ground, your feet are on the ground, and you're just kind of pushing your butt up if you do yoga and bridge. And then you want to start doing Kegels before coming down. And when you come down, go slow, very gently, very easy. I wouldn't start inverted Kegels until you're about three to four weeks postpartum. Two more things that we recommend Um, The first is heating pad and ice, so hot and cold. They're always so wonderful for healing because it promotes circulation. So I would put a heating pad on your scar for 15 minutes and then follow up with ice several times a day for the first 40 days. That's what so many of my clients said helped them. And then everyone said dresses for bedtime, robes and dresses. So avoid elastic bands and any kind of pants. Focus on nursing gowns for bedtime. And everyone in my group recommended Kindred Bravely for the nursing gowns. All right. Well, that about wraps it up. I just wanted to let you know that this week when I attended a scheduled cesarean section for a mom that previously had a traumatic birth experience and ended in the OR, she walked away from this experience just glowing. She was smiling and happy and calm and I don't know, all the things. So a scheduled cesarean section can be a powerful tool that you could choose for your body if a VBAC or a vaginal birth just doesn't seem like the right thing for you. So I wanted to give you some encouragement and some tools. Again, all of this is in Birth Story Academy. And if you want Well, a whole module on it is in Birth Story Academy. But if you just want the free guide to recovering from a C-section and the free birth plan template, then just head over to birthstory.com and you can get it there. So I hope you guys have a great week. We've got a birth story coming up on Thursday. And the last thing is I haven't asked for a while. So I think I was going to run a contest. Reviews. If you are listening to this podcast and it is a five-star review, then I would love it if you would push pause and leave a quick review. And your review will have an opportunity to be read on the podcast over the next couple of weeks. So thank you so much for being here and for listening to these podcast episodes as you plan and prepare for the birth that you want. 
no matter what that looks like. And I really would appreciate a review. And that's so that other people can find me, right? The more reviews and the higher the rating, it just means the more birthing persons that I can serve with this podcast. And so I thank you so much. And I wish you the best birth and the best week. Talk soon. Hey guys, I recently went disc golfing with my youngest son, Jagger, who as I record this is six years old. So that means four years ago, he was diagnosed with cerebral palsy from a birth injury. And I wanted to come to you with my story because I can't go backwards. So if you haven't listened to episode 88, where I talked to CEO Catherine Cross from Anja Health about cord blood and tissue banking. You see, her brother had cerebral palsy too. And we really bonded about how her brother and my child, their lives could be completely different if they had access to stem cells from cord blood and tissue banking. When I was pregnant with Jagger, it was a simple question in a brochure like, hey, do you want to do public or private cord blood banking? And no one explained it to me. As I watched Jagger play disc golf, and switch from his right hand to his left hand and watched him kind of limp through the course, I thought I would have paid any amount of money to have had the opportunity to have my child have a stem cell transplant from cord blood that I had saved from his birth. $35 a month and I may not be watching my kid have to switch arms on the disc golf course. So I hope you will go to AnjaHealth.com and consider cord blood, and tissue banking because we just don't know. This policy that you have to decide on in advance and we can't work backwards. If there's a birth injury, if your child has leukemia or any of the other 85 diseases that are FDA approved, that stem cells from cord blood and tissue banking can help dramatically save or change your child's life.